0: ما كان not يفترى ولكن تصديق الذي بين يديه وتفصيل كل شيء who is ورحمة لقوم يؤمنون رب person who is a person who is a person who is a person who is a person على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه Amma once again, everyone. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. I'm going to try to talk about the uh, the first phrase and the conclusion of the first phrase from the final ayah of Surah Yusuf. So the emphasis today will be on the phrase li ulil albab. I recall having given a pretty detailed lecture, actually a, a, a series of lectures, on the concept of al-baab when uh, we talked about one of the most pivotal. Uh, passages in the Quran that deals with the subject, and that's at the end of Surah Al Imran, uh, in the ayah that starts with the ayah in fi samawati wal-arḍi wa nahari la ayatin li-ulil It's a pretty powerful notion in the Quran. This phrase that I'm going to translate for you in a bit, but the, the Prophet himself, وسلم, had a very close relationship with that particular passage, uh, that one I'm talking about when it was revealed to him in Medina. Uh, Aisha radiallahu anha narrates that when when he was revealed that passage when it was given to him he was lying with her in bed and he asked her permission to leave the bed and to pray Um, and when he started praying then that passage started coming down and he was reciting it and he kept repeating those ayat until his entire beard was soaked in tears Uh, and then when he went to sajda there was a puddle where he made sajda and he wouldn't get up from sajda until Bilal came and it was getting late for Fajr to actually get him up to lead the prayer um, and he you know he was so overwhelmed by those ayat that began with Inna samawati wal ard, wal nahar la ayatin al-Bab. So I think for those of you that are interested in the subject I think it would be worth a look because I don't think I'll be going into that direction uh, here I'll be talking about some other things some recap from what I've talked about with albab before but some other things that were not talked about previously will be brought up here so uh, the first thing I want to do is just kind of give you a rough translation for people of pure minds, uh, for, for people of sound minds, meaning in their in their, nar- in their narrative, in their story, there's a profound lesson for the people of or the possessors of sound minds. That's a common translation or, you know, pure minds uh, would be a common translation. But I wanted to dig into the etymology, the origin of this word and kind of show you where it comes from uh, because it's obviously different from the word aql. Which means intellect. Uh, the Quran uses a number of words for the intellect, uh, and they highlight different things. So, aql highlights restraint. Um, Allah says ulin nuha for people of intellect, people of prevention. So, highlights the feature of the intellect that it prevents you from stupidity, prevents you from doing evil, pre- prevents you from being controlled by your emotions. When you have, a, when you're a person of intellect, you control your emotions. Your emotions don't control you, right? So, that's ulin nuha. أول um, and then he says, أَهَلْ qasamul meaning a boulder, a rock. People that have a steady way of thinking. Their thoughts aren't turbulent and they aren't going all over the place. Their intellect is compared to a boulder, a rock, right? So the idea that they are steady and strong in their thought process and their thoughts are not wavered by their feelings, right? Because, you know, it can happen sometimes that you know what the right thing is, but you don't want to accept it because your feelings are you're, you're, if you accept that, then you have to let some feel, some of your feelings go, right? Or your impulses want one thing from you, but your brain is telling you something else, right? For some people, their minds are strong enough that they stay on course with what they know to be the truth, regardless of what pressures internally or externally hit them. And that would highlight, that would be highlighted in the word hijr, among other things. So each of the phrases for the intellect in the Quran highlights different things. Uh, so does the word lub. Uh, and it's actually probably one of the highest, one of the most beautiful expressions for the intellect. And it's kind of like the most special term for the intellect. Like it's not everybody can have lub, you know, as as we will see. So let's first go into the origin of the word lub and the plural of it that's being used here, al possessors of al-baab. jawzi wal-lawz wa-nahwuhuma ma-fi jawfihi. The lub of the heart or the lub of an, even an almond is what is all the way inside it, what's in the depth of something or the inside of something, the center of something. مِنَ الثِّمَارِ دَاخِلُهُ أَلَّذِي وَيُطْرَحُ خَارِجُهُ um, And so the lub of any kind of fruit in Arabic, it's the inside of a fruit, the part that's eaten, is called the lub of it, and the peel and the stuff that's thrown away, the, you know, the fibers and the other stuff that's kind of thrown, tossed out that's not eatable or edible rather, that's not part of the lub. So the the, the the juicy part is the lub. The inside of it and the most important part of it, what gives it its value. That would be the lub. Uh, وَاللُبَابِ الْقَمْحِ And the, the lubab, same origin, of wheat is what is the most fine inside of it, the pure element of it. Uh, وَاللَّبَّةِ and Lubba is also used for the center of the chest or the throat, the neck over here, like where the jugular is, right? So the center, the idea of something central, something pivotal, something most important keeps coming up over and over, right? Like without it, the thing isn't what it was. The, uh, from an abstract point of view, you can say the essence of something, the, the, the core of something, the essence of something. That would be the word lub, the lub of it, right? Actually in... Uh, in speech, you can say "lubul kalam," like what's the essence of your speech? You talked for an hour, but what's the fundamental point? What's the essence of it, right? So that would be the word "lub." Now, uh, al mana al-Mihwari. Uh, by the way, this is the dictionary that's my favorite Quran dictionary at the moment, and there are projects I have in my head that I want to be able to accomplish, but I need like you know a, a minion army of volunteers and people that have gotten to a certain level of Arabic. That I hope to actually develop to a certain level of Arabic with those tasks, and one of those tasks is actually to uh, juice this this dictionary of the Quran, and I'll explain what juicing means to my Arabic students eventually. How do you juice a book, and then make it available for the public, like a a a really well documented dictionary of the Quran that is taken from multiple sources and gets to the lub of each meaning <laughs> the essence of each meaning because the etymology studies from different dictionaries can become pretty cumbersome and it can be streamlined and it can really help people that are trying to study the Quran in a in you know in a more efficient way and, and deep way but anyway uh, this this dictionary is called al-mu'jam al-ishtiqaqi al-mu'assal li al-quran and the author is Hassan Hassan Jabal for those of you that are familiar with Arabic it's a must have for Quran students uh, in my opinion. It's it's a really profound work and excellent resource. Anyway, so Al ma'na al Mihwari, the overall, you know, thematic meaning of this these three letters, La, Lam, Ba and Ba, is Luzumu Sha'i, Jawfash Shay, a بِتَمَكُّنْ من ذلك نقاؤه لكونه محوطاً محفوظاً. This is the important piece. So the overall meaning is the essence of something, the heart of something, something that is lodged deep in the middle, secure in the middle. And from this idea of being in the middle came the associated meaning of it being pure. Why? Because the fruit inside is pure because the dirt and everything else is on the outside hitting the peel. Right? But the inside is clean. Once you peel the fruit, you don't have to clean the banana. It's already clean, it's already pure, because all of the impurities were where? On the outside. Now some, in the fruits where you don't peel it, like a grape, you don't peel the grape. I mean, if you would, please send me a video. Uh, But you don't peel a grape, you have to wash those fruits. You have to wash a strawberry, right? But you don't wash an orange, you just peel it and eat it. Because the inside of it is already pure. So the idea from it that developed as a figurative idea in language was that the lube of something is the most pure part of it. Not just the internal part of it, but the most pure part of it. It's also interesting that the inside of something usually tends to be the soft part of it, and the outside tends to be the hard shell. Right? It's easy to think of in terms of fruit, or even the middle of the chest. The heart is a soft you know, the, uh, you know, organ surrounded by the hard shell of the ribcage right and surrounded by the hard chest the chest cavity the bones so the inside of it is the most pure part of it and the inside of it is a soft part of it those two kind of ideas are they, they emanate from the theme of this word so why is that important because actually in arabic the old arabs started calling a person lub so lub is the word but from it they came up with a an, you know an adjective for a person so they say, وَصَفُ الشَّخْصُ بِأَنَّهُ لَبٌ They would describe a person as a لَب بالفَتْح with a فَتْحَة. إِذَا كَانَ لَطِيفًا قَرِيبًا مِنَ النَّاسِ if, if this person was very gentle and close to people, like soft in their, in, the way they, in their demeanor, then they would call this person a لَب. Like, he's so nice, he's so sweet, like the inside of a fruit kind of thing right so that that became a term to describe a person wa min and from it came the word lablaba which actually means to show gentleness to a child to show love to a child because we're we're our softest to a baby right or to uh, to a small child and they say that the sheep was uh, you know doing lablaba to her baby when wa when, ashbalat when you know that you see animals that lick their babies and then they're kind of cuddling them and licking them, that act is called lablaba, Meaning it's being very soft and gentle with the baby. So the point of that reading was to kind of give you the etymological, the, the origin of this word has to do with the core of something, the most pure part of something, and the softness or gentle part of something, right? Those three things. What that means then, what does that mean for how this word started getting used for the intellect? Because we started this conversation with Quran. With Quran has different words for the intellect, right? Here's what Imam uh, Rahib al-Sfahani, who's got another remarkable dictionary of the Quran, Mufradat Gharib al Quran. Those of you who don't read Arabic and can read Urdu, um, it's actually been translated into Urdu also, so it's available. It's called al Quran in, in Urdu. Anyway, so this dictionary wa واصل- aslu. اللب أَلْخَالِصْ مِنَ الشَّيْءِ ثُمَّ أُطْلِقَ عَلَى مَا مِنَ الْعَقْلِ Now listen to this carefully. The essence of lub is the pure part of something. We already read that. We see where that came from, the inside of the fruit. ثُمَّ أُطْلِقَ عَلَى مَا مِنَ الْعَقْلِ Then it started getting used for the what is the sound or the most pure thought process a person can have. An uncorrupted, unfiltered mind is a, a person that has lub. Their thoughts are not corrupted by misinformation. Their thoughts are not corrupted by bias or anger. Their thoughts are not corrupted by misguidances. Their thoughts are not corrupted by, you know, isms, right? Tribalism or nationalism or whatever other ism has not corrupted their thought process. So when the, when the mind can function without those corruptions, then that mind is said to be a lub. This person possesses a lub. They have an uncorrupted, unbiased, pure mind. That's how the word starts. It's also interesting that um, the, the skull is a hard cavity, right? And then the squishy thing inside is the brain, right? And they've been able to keep what's inside decontaminated from what's outside, right? So it's an interesting kind of uh, uh, extension of that idea. And every intellect. Um, every lub, every pure mind is definitely an, an intellect, but not every intellect can be lub. Not every intellect is pure, is it? Right? Not every mind is pure, but every pure mind is definitely a mind, is a sound mind. Uh, وَقَالَ So. Others have also said that this word refers to the intellect exclusively because it's one of the unique qualities or powers of the human being that purely human beings possess this mind like no other creature possesses. By extension, actually, this is something I already said. Um, the people of people of sound minds or pure minds, ulil al-baab, have been def- designed, uh, described as people of the kinds of intellect that are free from, wi- uh, you know, um, from whim, they are free from superstition, they are free from false kinds of love, and overwhelming feelings and sensitivities that corrupt the way that they are thinking. So this is the essence of the meaning of lub. Now let's turn to why that's important to discuss. First of all, alhamdulillah, every human being possesses an intellect. It doesn't matter what religion you come from, what culture you come from, what education you possess. A lubb is something that, or a, an intellect is something everybody has. And before we are corrupted by whatever tendencies there are, internally and externally, all of us have a pure mind, which means all of us are people of al Bab. All of us are people of sound minds. But then, just like the hadith says that a baby's born pure on fitra. The parents can convert the child into Christian, Jewish, or Magin, or whatever else, right? The same way, um, our minds can be pure to begin with, and over time they start getting corrupted. They start getting contaminated. They start putting pollutants on them. And the Quran will describe a very deep relationship between the heart and the mind, right? And you are all constantly exposed to the notion of purification of the heart. Purify your heart, purify your heart, purify your heart. Actually, a close reading of the Qur'an will illustrate that Qur'an is calling for a purification of the heart and actually of the mind. And they are related to one another. They're actually two sides of the same coin. They are two distinct things, absolutely. Purifying the heart is one thing, purifying the mind is... Another thing. Let me just kind of briefly tell you why those two things are different. The, you know, a a person who has a lot of anger, for example, or a person that has a short kind of uh, threshold for patience, that is a matter of the heart. Or a person that gets resorts to complaining very quickly. That's a that's a heart that's missing gratitude, right? So. There's uh, that exercise of purifying that heart, uh, uh, exercising that, purifying that person has to do with purifying what's going on inside of their heart. There are certain unaddressed feelings, there are certain feelings that they need to exercise more, like the feeling of remembering Allah and being grateful and all of those things, right? So that is a purific- uh, one kind of purification of the heart and what they can do towards that, right? On the flip side, you've got somebody who's extremely generous, extremely sincere, extremely kind, extremely fair. As far as they're... You, you see, you meet this person, you interact with this person, you say this person has a good what? They have a good heart. They have a good heart. And you, it, just, you, the, they're, it just kind of oozes out of them, the goodness of their heart, right? But this is the same person who can believe that, you know, uh, you can make dua to angels. Or you can, this is the same person who can believe that a messenger is the Son of God. Like their heart is pure. They're, they're a beautiful human being. But something in their thought process has been corrupted. You understand? So the heart can be pure while the mind can become corrupted. On the flip side, you can have people that understand the truth perfectly. They know tawheed, they can write a book on it. Their mind, when it comes to understanding the truth, even spiritual truth, is on point. But what's the problem? The heart is corrupted. So you can have one or the other. Now, lub is actually a phrase, arguably, that is a merger of both of those things. So when a person possesses lub, they they've been able to cleanse their heart and cleanse their mind. They've been able to keep all both of those things secure. And the the conclusion that it includes both of those things, that's something I talked about in detail in Ali Imran. Why is it both of those things? I even drew it kind of out for you, right? But here now coming back to this ayah, what is the what is this term doing inside of this phrase? Yesterday I spent quite a bit of time talking to you guys about Lakatkana there are some outstanding things there that I wanted to highlight. One, from a grammatical point of view, the word ka'na means was. right? Simply speaking, it means was. And that's a kind of the tragedy of oversimplifying uh, Arabic and balagha of the Qur'an, that today ka'na just means was. But ka'na had a diversification of uses in classical Arabic that because we don't understand, because we want the quick fix Arabic study. right? Just tell me everything. I know what everything means quickly. I got to... I got a, you know most common words used in the Qur'an dictionary. So I figured everything out. No, you didn't. This is a language that was developed and its sophisticated uses were evolved over thousands of years and then Allah chose it to be the language of His final revelation. It's rich. So that same word can have lots of rich meanings. The word ka'na can be used to actually re, in, re- um, reiterate the koniya of something, the existence of something. In other words, if I say, uh, I'm... I'm in the masjid. Anna Fil Masjid. Or Nu'man Fil Masjid. Nu'man is in the masjid. That's a fact. I'm, I'm stating a matter of fact, right? A reality. But if I say Kana Nu'man Fil Masjid in classical Arabic, if I add a Ka'na to that statement, make it a Kana statement, it doesn't just mean Numan was in the masjid. It actually means as a matter of fact, Norman is in the masjid. So it's not even about the past tense anymore, it's about establishing something that actually exists. And that statement, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ is actually establishing that konia. it's قَانَ for the purpose of tawqid, meaning the fact of the matter is, in their collective narrative, and in the way that it has been told, there is a profound lesson. There is, that the fact of it is, the, the lesson to be drawn is there. That's, it's there. See, the, it's, what to me, it's, what's amazing about this ayah, is not that Allah is saying those stories are true. That's elsewhere. Is it true or not? That's elsewhere. Like, that's already been established in this passage. When Allah says, min amba nuhihi ilayk. This is from the news of the unseen that we're revealing to you. So, the fact that this is news, and these are, these are actual as a matter of fact events, that's been established. It's not the events that are being highlighted now. It's that these events have something in them, in fact. Not just information about what happened. What they have in them is a ibra, is a powerful lesson that moves you to tears. It is something that helps you cross over multiple circumstances in your life. All the stuff I talked about yesterday, that is what Allah is establishing as a matter of fact. Then, What's even more beautiful, somebody actually asked me by email today and I realized I didn't talk about it. Kana is the masculine form, the feminine form would be Kanat. And ismu Kana is Ibratun, which is all the way at the end of the phrase. So, Kana fi qasasihim Ibratun. This phrasing is a contrast between the masculine kana form and the feminine is mukana so kanat fi qasasihim ibratun is correct grammar too but kana fi ibratun is what allah has used now what you can say this you can call this ism fa'il munfasil the ism of or ism kana munfasil the ism of kana is farther apart and when the noun is farther apart then you can have a contrasting gender I Meaning, you can use the masculine even if the ism kana is feminine that's for later studies for those of you who know about what i'm talking about alhamdulillah for those of you who don't inna lillahi wa inna it's coming eventually uh, where all of this will make sense inshallah But anyway, what's the the rhetorical benefit of ka'na as opposed to ka'nat here? Well, the masculine form can be argued to be inclusive. In other words, their story has ibrah in it. It has a profound lesson that will help you deal with things in life in it. But that's not all it has. That's definitely in it. A lesson is definitely in their narrative. But guidance is also in their narrative. Warning is also in their narrative. Miracles are also in their narrative. Proof of the truth of the Qur'an is also in their narrative. Right? So there are other things in their narrative, not just ibrah. It's not reduced to ibrah. And there's an implication as if ibrah is the starting point, like it's one of the fundamentals, and beyond that you'll see other things. You'll see some incredible things in their story. Like, you know, when we were studying their story, we learned some profound things about how the Qur'an interacts with the biblical account. We, we discovered things about that. That's not part of ibra necessarily. But it's certainly something I consider mu'jiz in the Qur'an, something miraculous in the Qur'an, something humbling in the Qur'an, right? So there is... But what is, what is Allah doing in this ayah? He's doing something so beautiful. He's letting you and me know that the first thing I want your focus on is what is a lesson for you personally. That's that's the the core. Because فِي the word ibra makes it a personally drawn lesson for you and me individually. This surah is speaking to me, it's it's speaking to you. The closest to this ayah, in the beginning of the surah. Is laqad kana wa ayatun in Yusuf and his brother brothers there are ayat there are signs for those who ask right now let's compare there he said signs here he said ibra and there's a beautiful imagery that I want to quickly highlight signs are what you see that help you go on your way so the sign is telling you which way to go right. Signs point you in the right direction. That's the purpose of a sign, a marking. And Ibrah is the verb or the, the word for crossing over to reach your destination. Do you see a relationship? Allah says, in the story there are signs that point you in the right direction. And now Allah says, in the story altogether, just like the story reached, crossed over to a conclusion, in each of those signs there's a way by which you don't just, you're not just headed towards the right direction, it'll lead you to a good conclusion the ayah is the starting point, the ibrah is the conclusion. So it's kind of, and and one came in the starting point of the surah and the other came at the conclusion of the surah. It's also remarkable that now we talk about, in the beginning Allah said, there are ayat for who? For people who ask questions, right? And here he didn't say, there are. there's a ibrah for people who ask questions. He said, there's an ibrah for people who possess sound minds and hearts. Now I'm adding minds and hearts together, right? Because I, I said they're together. So there's a, parallel that should be drawn between people who ask questions from the beginning and people of sound minds at the end sound minds and hearts at the end You know what we're learning? We're learning, what kind of person would ask questions anyway? A person whose heart is seeking answers from Allah What kind of person would even think about these things? A person whose mind is not preoccupied with other things that don't, that don't add to the purity of their mind This leads us to a very important conversation. So the the, the questioner and the person of sound mind are related to each other. As if Allah is saying, well, what kind of people ask those questions anyway? What kind of people seek this anyway? What kind of people are eager to say, what is this ayah telling me? Well, those are the people of sound minds and hearts. As if your desire to learn more and more, and to seek lessons for yourself, for myself. Not for you to tell someone else, for myself when I have the urge to want to know this for myself, to enrich my heart, to to feed my mind, then that urge to ask is actually me going on the road of cleansing my heart and mind. Because a clean heart and a clean mind wants to feed itself from clean sources. Just like a clean stomach is eating clean food. So a clean heart and a clean mind wants to be fed clean nutrition clean spiritual nutrition, clean intellectual nutrition, isn't it? What that tells us then, is that there are people that are interested, stories are the most powerful device of human communication in history. I mean, stories are the way nations define themselves. Stories, there's a story behind the national flag of every nation. There's a story that that when somebody joins, they love their country, they join their military. And when they join their military because they learn something about the story of their nation and the story of the wars and the story of their independence, stories define people. When a person says, Who am I? They want to know the story of their father and their grandfather and their great grandfather and their ancestry. All of that is what? Stories. And then children who can be distracted by any number of things, once you start telling them a story, sit down and listen. Try to tell them math. <laughs> try to do something else. Okay guys, time to tell you a story. <gasps> okay, 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 okay. What is it about stories that draws the human mind and the heart and compels it? What is every movie? What is every TV show? Right? What are what are the short films that you watch and what do the news do nowadays to keep you engaged? They present it in the form of a story. They present it in the form of a short film. They even call it a news story. Right? A breaking story. <laughs> That's what they call it now. Why? Because that is Allah designed the story to capture the heart and mind of the human being. It's a unique form of communication. Now, of course, stories are used in the Qur'an, but that's not the only stories we're exposed to, are there? And now, you know what, what I'm trying to get at? We, Our hearts and minds are in a battle to find the stories that will feed them purity, as opposed to being exposed to stories that will feed them corruption. And just like, I cannot consume healthy food and poison and think, well, though healthy food will weed out or undo the effects of the poison, so it's okay. I'll be fine because I ate a banana. So I can eat all the junk, but I'm okay because I also ate a banana. All right, <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way, does it? The same way when you are exposing your heart and your mind to content. Let's just call it what it is nowadays. Let's use words that we understand today. When you expose it to content, that is not these qasas. That does not give you ibra. It takes you in a different direction. Think about what that does to your heart for a moment. And this is not me saying movies are haram, cartoons are haram, video games are haram, Instagram is haram, Snapchat is haram, Facebook is, we're on Facebook. Facebook is haram, YouTube is haram, the internet's haram. I remember this one guy giving a lecture. I was in Florida one time and he was giving a lecture. It was a youth night. A bunch of youth were spending the night in the masjid. And he's like, I'm here to tell you that YouTube is absolutely haram. And it was pretty cool because somebody was recording him and uploading it on YouTube. (laughs) This is the irony of it. It's just funny. And I had to speak after the guy, but I couldn't stop laughing. It like it was just it was bad. I had to go like somewhere private so nobody sees me like chuckling. But, oh. <laughs> but the point is this. When you're watching when you're when you're exposed to certain kinds of, let's just say a TV show, right? And that TV show, especially for younger minds. They're exposed to something that says, that shows that there's, you know, there's cartoons in which the the child is always right and the parents are always wrong. Right? Or they're exposed to this idea that, you know, you, you have to prove yourself by defeating someone constantly. You're constantly in contest with someone else. Or you're exposed to the idea that the angrier you get, the more powerful you become. The angrier you get, your superpowers enhance. Like the Hulk or something, right? You know, so anger is a glorified like, uh, thing, right? Or you get this idea that villains or evil supervillains, for example, are usually ones that want some kind of galactic order and they want everything under their control. So any entity that wants control from above or lays its law down, and those entities usually speak about uh, you know, harmony and justice and honor and you know, getting rid of chaos. Those are all evil entities and human beings have to fight for their freedom against these oppressive higher powers. Certain ideas are being embedded inside your mind. The idea that any higher power is evil. Any authority is evil. right? Because it's, it takes away from your freedom. Freedom is glorified. Anger is glorified. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, proving yourself to others is the most important thing. Not even to yourself, to others is the most important thing. Values, it's not just what you're watching. There's a value system behind it. Right? And it's now starting to affect the way you think about yourself and the way you think about others. Isn't it true, those of you that, you know, your your, kid, your kids and yourselves, you watch TV shows and whatever else and pretty soon some of the phrases and things that those characters say you start saying them you start emulating some of their speech they become part of your vernacular you know and they they become part of your speech similarly there's a lot of you know kids programming especially that is so immersive now it's so immersive like like the world of marvel right or 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 um anime or whatever else like it's there's so many characters and so much so such rich plot and so you know, so many mythologies and Storylines and you're so immersed in all of that and so much of that has to do with resurrection and you know demonic powers and you know coming back from or or, you know uh, giving life to someone or divine creatures and all this stuff, right? And you don't believe any of it, but you're s- constantly thinking about that stuff. And then somebody's writing, oh, there's a, there's a sneak peek at the next season and this happens and this happens. And in the mind of a kid who's just l- listening to this over and over and again, all the time, all the time, all the time, right? That's all that's running in their mind. They, any chance they have to have a conversation, they'll talk about that. Their, their mind is actually not free to stop and look at the sky and think about what Allah just did up there. Or to look at a tree and think about the seed that Allah turned into that tree. That's no longer incredible. But the new episode that's coming out is incredible. So what overexposure to fluff media, this content, those stories, what overexposure to that has done is it's made us wowed by what doesn't exist. It, it's we're in we live in the world of wow, of the imaginary, and what is in front of our eyes, the reality in front of our eyes, is actually something we don't want it because it's too boring. you know like a kid can say, "My phone's my life. Don't take my phone. It's my life. Yeah. No, your life is your life and there's life all around you and the only thing dead is this piece of devi- this device with silicon and metal <laughs> and a battery charge that doesn't have life, that's not life but we, we're caught up in it we're, we're caught up in on these screens and it's keep, the whole point of this is it's keeping us from being people of sound hearts and minds because our hearts and our minds are preoccupied with stuff and it's not just about those of you that are addicted to watching TV shows you can get addicted to watching the news, man. If you're following every tweet Trump comes out with, or, you know, if you're just constantly following what's the, what's the latest with uh, the pandemic in what country, and you're just, well, how is that affecting you? There is sometimes you should keep up and know. But if every five minutes you're checking, 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 oh, this happened, oh, this happened, oh, this happened. And then some of you are really interested, you, you guys follow, like, social media accounts of terrible news like exploits oh this child got murdered over here or this serial killer did this over here or this you know this guy ran over this you know with a bus he ran over these people and look at what this cashier did and you're like oh oh oh." and you're just constantly watching that stuff and then sharing it with other people and saying oh my god right what is your heart filled with that like did you need to discover that human beings have evil tendencies or that people can be st- stupid. Did you need to expose yourself to that? You haven't had enough of that in your life. But you, we, we, we are drawn. We're naturally drawn to stories anyway. But now we're drawn to stories that have nothing behind them. And if they do have something behind them, it's a, it's an evil value. It's a value that's taking us in a different, in, a, in the wrong direction. And there are some things that have good value too. You can't discount that, right? But if we don't you know if, if we don't uh, provide ourselves some degree of censorship some degree of prevention ourselves because the fact of it is now we live in an age where the idea of censorship is dead what used to be is you couldn't see some things on tv what used to be is if you don't want to watch that kind of movie don't buy the dvd don't buy the vhs tape if you don't want certain words to be heard then don't watch a movie rated this, that, or the other. But we live in an age where everything is searchable, everything is visible, there is no censorship. No matter how many barriers to entry you put in place, everything, is the worst of it, is accessible. The best of it is accessible, and they're all accessible on the same platform. The same platform Facebook we're using now can be used to spread something about the Word of Allah, and the same thing can be used to spread the ugliest forms of filth. It can be, and it is being used. Predominantly for that purpose. The, so the, the, the notion of censorship coming from an outside source is dead. The only censorship now is what? You keep the shell on the outside of the fruit and you let the fruit on the inside keep it from being rot, from rotting. You have to become a person of what? Lub. But if you don't become a person of love, then the lessons to be drawn in, this sto- in the story of all the prophets, that which will move you to tears, shall not happen for you because you're not a person of love, And you'll look at the same story and it will do nothing for you. Because Allah says, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ al It's for these people that there are lessons that move them to tears. It's for these people that lead them to solutions for their problems, gives them relief. It's for these people. And if they're not these people, then they'll hear the story, they'll listen to the story, they'll read about the story, but it won't change anything. Because they let the mind and the heart be contaminated. This is not something I can do for you, or you can do for me. We've got to engage in this exercise for ourselves. We've got to go into a detox. Th- that's what this is, a spiritual and an intellectual detox. What did Allah say about the Qur'an? When the Prophet was given the Qur'an, he said, alaihim wa He reads the ayat onto them, and by way of the ayat, he purifies them. We're in a battle. And the battle is, you see, the one way I thought about it when I used to teach the story of Adam salam and Iblis, that's worthy of reminding myself of here there is never a silent moment for your mind whether you're, there's noise outside or not whether you're watching something or not your mind is constantly spinning your mind and my mind are constantly engrossed in some thought or another good or bad but the engine doesn't turn off the engine's constantly running and your heart has an ear. Not this ear, but your heart has its own ears and its own eyes. You understand? And those ears and eyes are constantly running. They're constantly running. And whenever you're not exposing them to something good, then shaitan, without any effort from you, will constantly expose them to something bad. You don't even have to put the work in to have bad thoughts. Because they don't even have to come from you. And shaitan is constantly doing whisper, wh- whispers. Allahu nas. So there's no such thing as I'm doing nothing. Because when you're doing nothing, Shaitan's active. So the the point is, the, the reason I'm bringing that up is inside this lub, there's a constant effort from the devil to get through the peel and get to the fruit and poison it, get to this inside and poison it, and the way he can poison it is by exposing him, his thoughts his whispers to it over and over and over again. And our job, he will do that, if you're passive, he's doing it anyway. you The only remedy for that is, we actively have to remember Allah. Actively remembering Allah detoxes the heart from the whisper of shaitan. Detoxes the mind from bad thoughts. Detoxes the mind so it's capable of contemplation. detox it, It's capable of asking the right kinds of questions. We want to get to a point where we're not asking, when is the next episode coming out? We want to get to the point where we're asking the question, when are we going to get to the next ayah? When am I going to learn about that ayah? Like the longing is for the good. The heart has now developed a new kind of longing, right? And that's a profound transformation inside of a person. Whether the world outside experiences a revolution or not, governmental systems change or not, the economy changes or not, the pandemic changes or not, the economic crisis changes or not, there's a crisis inside my lub, inside my aql, that crisis is being fought. And there's the, the, the world may not be becoming a better place, but the world inside me is becoming a better place. That's ulil al-baab. And Allah says, I can get you there. By way of these stories, first learn to ask the questions. لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ عِبْرَةٌ All of us can become that. Then the other observation, and we conclude with, with that, with, uh, with the phrase لِأُولِلَ As if Allah is saying that people that do have sound minds, people that are asking the right questions, people that are seeking answers from Allah, These stories are meant for you. I gave these, and I put all of these treasures here. The title of today's lecture, I was thinking, how am I going to title this? There's loaded stuff. I titled it, Who Will Discover the Treasure? Right? And it's additionally, who is it meant for? There are some people that Allah has uniquely positioned to be able to think like this. Uniquely positioned that Allah didn't expose them to the corruption of the mind and the heart as opposed to others. They had less of a challenge. Uniquely positioned that they were able to learn like others weren't able to learn. Those people actually have a responsibility to themselves and to others around them. That they must engage in this inquiry. And they must draw from this. And then give it. What did Yusuf do with the gift he was given? He's a person of Lub. And he's surrounded by Hocus Pocus in ancient Egypt. He doesn't just interpret a dream with the gift he's given. He then helps society with it. It was meant for him. The skill, and Allah created that dream in the mind of the king, meant for Yusuf, so he can save Egypt from starvation. Yes? Well, the point I'm trying to make is, Allah has given these stories, and these accounts, and the lesson to be drawn for them, for people of sound minds. In other words, it's there for you, so you can put yourself to work. You have work to do. You're, you think you were given this incredible gift of a sound mind just for you? Just for you? You think when a light turns on, because this is described as a lamp, when a light turns on, it's, it only affects the lamp? When a light turns on, the lamp affects the entire room, doesn't it? What's the point of a lamp that turns on and it's covered up? Then might as well be off. You have a job to do. You have the light to share with others. You have to help them see, I have to help them see what maybe they were looking for and they didn't find yet. And maybe they have a sound heart, but their mind is looking in the wrong direction. Or maybe they have a sound mind, but their heart needed some help and they needed to hear something that will help their heart. How will you, How Allah did not uh, give this ability to draw lessons and to think about them and to spend time learning about them and to contemplate them. He didn't give that ability to everybody. But the few people who have that ability, the few people who have that opportunity, then a huge responsibility falls on them. So the li'ulil al-baab also becomes a kind of responsibility. Even if I don't claim to be a person of lub. Even if I'm on the way to it, I understand that Allah does not give us these ayat, like the Prophet himself says, communicate on my behalf, even if a single ayah. Communicate on my behalf. This is actually a way of, you know, there are so many places in the Quran that are like transformative expressions. This is one of those places that transforms the way we see stories, what we get from the stories. And how it doesn't just transform us from the inside, it transforms our environment. It transforms the world around us, starts getting transformed because we are so immersed in prophetic stories. You know, I want to get to a point, I make dua for a point, where in our families, in our social gatherings, when we're talking to each other and you know, man, that's just like... And then you say, man, that's just like... And you reference some character from a movie or you reference some episode from some show or you reference some athlete and what they did or you reference a meme or you reference a... you know what I'm saying? P- these references come to your mind because you're exposed to them all the time so you draw from them in your daily conversations I want to get to a point where in our gatherings, man you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of like... What, remember Ibrahim what Ibrahim said? Like yeah... that was awesome Now let's keep eating our shawarma right hand hey you're just talking and you're like, bro, the other day I was thinking we were playing basketball and we finished, and I was really tired. Remember? And we got lost. And our phones died, and we know where GPS was. And I was like, how is Musa I'm going through the desert man? You know? ربي, ربي, sawa'a Maybe Allah will guide me to the right way. And we got we we got nervous because we were in a shady neighborhood. He was in the desert with cobras and snakes and stuff. Just you start drawing and thinking about their narrative as you're going through yours. That's ulil albab. That's when you're drawing Ibrah from these stories. You're living them. You're loving these stories. They have become a part of you, and you're not artificially quoting them to give somebody a lecture. You just kind of remember what happened to them, and like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have those moments of connection. With the prophets and what Allah said about them, because every one of them will help you cross over a circumstance in your life, cross over a confusion in your life and mind, cross over a hurdle in your life and mind. And that's what I wanted to highlight on a, with a session by itself on just li ulil al-bab in this ayah. I think it's so profoundly important that, that we understand that, that we, we, we see the stories in the Quran in a very different light. We see them as healing and therapy and counseling. We see them as a living text, not just a story told about ancient times. And when we do that, um, perhaps through that, our relationship with prophets, our relationship with revelation, and really at at, at the end of the day, our relationship with Allah completely transforms. It completely changes. And I pray that all of us experience that change, and we continue to experience that change, and are able to uh, enable our loved ones to experience that change along with us. Barakallahu liwalakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. الْحَكِيمِ Oh, you think it's the same, right? You think it's the same? No, it's not the same. Watch this. Ended already? What do you say?